0: I look forward to this time of year, uh, the Christmas season. I have to say I'm really excited. Last week we, we opened up the book of Luke and we delve into the book of Luke to kind of set up uh, this series of messages that I'm preaching in, up uh, to Christmas Day here and, and uh, real excited to get into this morning's message. There is a handout this morning. If, if you did not receive a, a handout uh, or one of the bulletins, just raise your hand and we'll make sure somebody gets you a, a bulletin. Okay. Kathy needs one up here. Um, but This morning we'll be in the book of Luke. We're continuing in the book of Luke. Um, we looked at the first four verses last week. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking uh, into the book of Luke, and we're going to look at the announcement of Jesus' birth. I'm really excited to get into this morning's message. So with that said, let's go ahead and open it up in a word, a prayer, and we'll dive into God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, again, we just come before you humbly. Uh, just, I, I'm so thankful for this opportunity to be able to preach your word. Uh, I'm so thankful for uh, the precious gift of your son. I'm thankful that I get to uh, preach on the announcement of Jesus' birth. Father, it's, uh, I know most of us are fully aware of it again, but it's exciting to be able to come forth and, and share that news and just to be able to talk about it again and to see the truths of your word, Father, as we study uh, the life of Christ and we see the, uh, him coming down from heaven and living amongst us so that we could have eternal life one day with him, uh, to be in heaven uh, together as believers, uh, to love and worship Lord Jesus and to be with you and, and to have the Holy Spirit with us all the time. Father, we're just so grateful for how you work in and through us. And I pray now that you'll fill me with your spirit, use me mightily to deliver this message. I pray for our congregation to have open hearts and minds to be receptive to your word and to apply it to their lives and help us all to be doers of your word, not hearers only. And we thank you and praise you for the goodness and the truth of your word and that we can count on it, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Luke chapter 1. Uh, We'll be in the the text this morning. We'll be verse 26. We'll read down through verse 38. The Bible says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign in the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also uh, there also... Also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. As we draw closer to this special day that we call Christmas, it is imperative to remember the reason for the season, right? It's Christmas. It's it's all about Christ. And in despite what has happened over this many over the past couple centuries, is that we have gotten caught up and it's become more of a worldly uh, holiday. In fact, we can't even say Merry Christmas anymore. It's Happy Holidays, but we must remember as believers the reason for the season and we get caught up in the moment and uh as many christians we forget the real purpose of this time of year we get busy decorating our homes we we put up trees and we're putting lights on the trees and decorations on the trees and we're we're out shopping for presents for family, and then we're wrapping those presents, and, and we just get consumed with all kinds of stuff and making all kinds of Christmas goodies and the cookies and the, the cakes and the pastries and all that good stuff, and we prepare for that big Christmas dinner, you know, and I don't think anybody cooks a Christmas goose anymore, but it sounded good in the old days, right? But, um, but ultimately, all these worldly things, all these things draw us away from what the real reason for the season, what the whole purpose of what the season that we celebrate. We forget, uh, we get so busy, we forget whose birthday it actually is. It is a birthday that accentuates the incarnate Christ for all of mankind. So where should our focus actually be? Well, ultimately, it should be on presence. right? Uh, well, no, not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S presence, but P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, in the presence of God. That's where our focus should be. Our focus should be on the presence of God, because at this time of year, uh, every day for a believer, we should be thankful for the presence of God in our life. If you've accepted the precious gift of Jesus Christ, you now have the presence of God in your life. You can have it every day. This is a time to reflect on what God did for us. God sent His only begotten Son, and He came down from heaven and put on flesh. He is deity wrapped in humanity. He did that for us. He did it to live amongst us and to live like us, to experience all that we experience in this life. He was our Emmanuel, God with us. He was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life so that he could one day lay down that life for the sins of the world. So as a way of introduction I want, uh, our, uh, to our, into our text this morning, I'd like to point out a few details that will help us to learn more about this incarnation of Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to understand is I want you to see the angel Gabriel, the messenger, the one who's bringing the message, right? Uh, the heavenly messenger who interpreted to Daniel the meaning of the vision of the ram and the goat—that's that's what Gabriel Gabriel did. This he's mentioned four times in the Bible. Each time bringing a human, uh, bringing to human beings a message from the Lord. Twice he appeared to Daniel in chapter eight and chapter nine. In the New Testament, he appears uh, both times in the Book of Luke. He appears once uh, to announce the birth of John the Baptist. We see that in Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 20. And then here again, he is announcing the birth of Jesus to Mary in Luke, uh, in in our verses now, 26 through 38. But not only that, I want you to see where this takes place. Okay? The announcement comes, but it comes in the town of Nazareth. Nazareth was a small village in Jesus' day. And I'll be honest with you, I... um, I don't know where these people get it, but I've seen, uh, you know, I get it, it's a small town. But I've heard it had, in, in all the commentaries and the studies I've been doing, I've seen numbers from one thousand to or 100 to 15,000 people. Uh, I lean towards maybe a town of around 400 people. That seemed more common to what I was seeing. Uh, but it was a small town. It was a small town, and uh, it had only one spring to supply fresh water to its inhabitants. That would have been tough for fifteen thousand, so. Uh, but the member uh, but the members of this small community were simple people, working to make a living for their families. But understand, this was a town of poor reputation. It was a town of poor reputation, as noted by Nathaniel in John chapter 1, verse 46. Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth has a poor reputation. Nazareth did not enjoy a place of prominence until its association with Jesus, as he became known as Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, Nazareth is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. I love what Calvin Miller says, though. Calvin Miller said, Great works of God rarely start in big places. Rather, they start in small places, in some person with a big commitment. So here we have Nazareth, a small place. But I also want you to see that person with a big commitment. I want to see, uh, in way of introduction, I want you to see the truth about Mary. The truth about Mary. There are many who spread lies about this, uh, this woman Mary. Uh, there's apostates out there that would, that would teach contrary to the word of God about Mary. And we're gonna, I want you to see three truths about Mary uh, that we can get out of our scripture. The first one comes out of verse 27. Real quick, to a virgin, a spouse to a man with a, uh, whose name was Joseph. So I want you to see that she was a pure woman. Mary was a pure woman. Mary was a virgin. Uh, the definition of the Greek word parthenos, parthenos meaning a female person who, was, who has never had sexual intercourse. Okay, she was a virgin. You must understand, she is pure. There are uh, versions of the Bible that have come out, and these people who have uh, come to agreements on changing the texts have changed the word "virgin" to "young woman," "young lady," or "maiden." And I'll be honest with you, uh, and I think all of us could say we know young m- women, young ladies, and maidens that are virgins but I think we also know young women young ladies and maidens that are not virgins words matter and when we change words to deny the truth of God's scripture we must be aware of that virgin means virgin young woman what does that mean So we must understand she was a pure woman. She was a pure woman. But I also want you to see in verse 27, she was a prepared woman. She was espoused to her husband, right? She was espoused to a man named Joseph. And what does that mean? That's espousal. Understand that in Jewish tradition, when a woman was to marry a man, they entered into a marriage contract. Ultimately, they were essentially married. Okay? These two were not engaged. They were within the contract. And what happens is, over a year period of time, usually around a year, the man takes time to prepare his home while the woman stays with her family. The man is entered into a contract. Ladies, sorry, but you really don't have any say in it. It's between the father and the man who wants to marry you. That's how it was done in Jewish tradition. So Joseph would have spoke with Mary's dad, entered into a contract, and he would, but then he has to, part of his contract is he goes and prepares a home for this woman. And after that year of time, he comes back to the house to take his bride back to the home where they will consummate the marriage. So we're at this point that she was a prepared woman. She was espoused. She was in that marriage contract, but Joseph hadn't prepared the home yet. It wasn't, and they were together, but they were not, uh, they had not consummated that marriage yet. She was married, yet still a virgin, so she was prepared to carry the incarnate Son of God. She was a prepared woman for God, not for Joseph. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And lastly, I want you to see she's a preferred woman. She's a preferred woman. In verse 28, what does it say there? Uh, and the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou, art, uh, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Mary was highly favored and full of grace. God chose her to be the mother of Jesus. So she was blessed among women. She received an honor that I think most women would, be, would love to have. But not all women... Are preferred, are prepared, and are pure. Mary was. So this all kind of sets up what we really want to get into as we study the as we look into the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This morning we will see from our text three details that will help each of us to better understand this incarnation of Christ. And the first detail is the message to Mary. The message to Mary we see in verses thirty through thirty three. Gabriel, that we set up in, a, in, in, uh, in our introduction. This angel, what's he do? He tells her to fear not. Typically, understand that that's typically what most angels started most of their conversations with. Fear not. Okay, because clearly we see, uh, if you look in verse 29, and when she saw him, she was troubled. Okay, whoa, where'd you come from, one? Two, well, you know what are you, and what are you doing here? You can just imagine. It says right in her mind, it says there in 29, uh, trouble that is saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She's thinking in her mind, what is this? I don't understand. And ultimately we see that uh, Gabriel delivers a message. I want you to see two important reasons for this message to Mary. The first is that she had favor with God. Verse 30, she had favor with God, and the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. We live in a day and age where many women are often brash, critical, and opinionated. Um, It's just how it is in the world today. Uh, I want you to see that Mary stood out as a very humble woman full of grace. She was different. She stood out. She desired to live for God. She was full of grace and grace, and, and ultimately graceful people stand out. James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Now, Mary was a very humble person. And, and, and I, there's a reason she's chosen for this. You don't want a brash, uh, confrontational woman in, in this type of situation. Uh, because what was going to happen? What was going to happen? Ultimately, she's never been with a man, right? We established that. She's a virgin. And at some point, people are going to notice something different about Mary. Uh, They're going to think she either swallowed a watermelon seed or she's carrying a child, right? And so ultimately, at some point, they also know that Joseph has not had that time with his wife yet. It's not a secret. They're living in Nazareth, they're together, but people know that they are not, they, they haven't consummated that marriage yet. So, what's going to happen? Ultimately, Mary's going to be walking down the street. She's going to be accused of adultery. She's, they're they're going to be like, Joseph, you need, to, you need to put her away, you need to stone her. She needs to be stoned for what she's done, put to death. That was the punishment for adultery in that day and age. So, ultimately, we know Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph says, no, I'm going to stay with her. But other people aren't as kind as Joseph was being to his wife. People who I'm sure she was spit on. She was probably uh, called names. She was ridiculed for her. for. The condition she was in. Because they didn't know. I mean, let's, let's, let's don't be rash to, oh, how rude. Well, how many of us would see somebody walking? I wonder if that person's carrying a child of God in their womb. I wonder if God did the same thing to them that, Mar- that He did to Mary. Remember, this had never been done before Mary, and it's never been done since Mary. It's the miracle of miracles. So I believe, uh, you know, we know God in his infinite wisdom needed to make sure he was choosing a woman who was, not going to, who was not going to let these things affect her. She was going to do what needed to be done, bringing honor and glory to God. She wasn't going to get into arguments with people. She wasn't going to try to defend herself and say, but you don't understand, God did this to me. That's, what's that going to get her? Blasphemy, you're going to hell. You know, you're going to, well, then they'll stone her for that. So ultimately, we see that she was a humble woman. And we could all learn from this. As we we discussed in our study of Jude this morning, that oftentimes we can get into conversations with people who don't believe like we believe, and therefore, uh, instead of just disagreeing to disagree, we end up in an argument with them. And it gets heated. And we say, then we begin to, we don't even spout truth. We start just spouting off at the mouth and we get angry. So we can learn, we need to be humble. We need to humble ourselves. We need to be full of grace that we don't spout back something and hurt people and, and, and do things that would ruin our testimony. But ultimately, uh, this, that's what we want to see. We, we see that uh, she had favor with God, and, and we, we need to, as Christians, be in favor with God. But I also want you to see she would have a son named Jesus. That's the second part of this message, okay? Mary, you found favor of God. Two, hey, Mary, you're going to have a child, all right? Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. Aren't you thankful that we serve a great God? I know I am. We serve a great God. uh, To define Jesus, the name Jesus is the Greek word for the Hebrew name Joshua. It is the Greek word for the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. Jehovah is salvation. The idea being communicated is Jesus had come to be a deliverer. God had sent Jesus as the Savior of the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 1 John 4, verse 14 says, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. To be the Savior of the world. That's what makes him great. We don't have to go to hell. We don't have to go to hell. We we have an opportunity to make a decision in our life. God built us with free will. He allows us to make a choice. The question is, do you want to choose to follow Jesus? Do you want to choose Jesus and and put your faith and trust in Him? Or do you want to find your own path? Like so many before us. Cain. Balaam. We can come up with our own path or we can obey the word of God, trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we can spend eternity in heaven. But you have to make the choice. That's what's so great about Jesus. But he was also, I want you to see, he was also the son of the highest, right? Uh, He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. He's conceived of the Holy Spirit. Not merely man, but God incarnate in the form of a man. Understand that we all know how babies come into the world. It takes a man and a woman. It doesn't matter what our government says. And it doesn't matter what we think. Without a man and without a woman, you will not bring a baby into this world. Okay? And therefore, that's what's so amazing. Because Jesus came into this world without a man. He had the woman. But Jesus is there because the Holy Spirit laid him there. Hebrews 1, verses 6 and 8 says, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let the angels of God worship him. So he's the son of the highest. He's conceived of the Holy Spirit. He's not merely man, but God incarnate in the form of man. So what is? This? And I want you to see, this is an important verse. Hebrews 1, 6 and 8. Because this is God speaking. This is God speaking, and he's speaking about Jesus. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, who's that? God brought the first begotten into the world, he saith. This is God speaking. Let all the angels of God worship him. Okay? God says, nobody, you are to worship no other gods but me. And now he's telling the angels to worship his son. What's that tell you about Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But unto the Son, this is God speaking to his Son, Jesus Christ, but unto the Son he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Anybody wants to tell you that Jesus Christ is not God, but he's the Son of God, you need to take them to this verse and explain to them then you tell God that. Because God just called him God. And if God says he's God, I believe my God before I believe any man that tells me he isn't God. We need to put our faith and trust. Trust the scriptures. God gave them to us for a reason. It also tells us in the scriptures that he would be of the tribe of Judah and the house of David. What's so important about that? Why do we care if he's... Uh, Of the house of David and of the tribe of Judah. Because it's prophetic. It's prophecy. Because we can go back in the Old Testament and see where they tell us about these things. And then it actually happened. I just read Isaiah 7 a little while ago. And it talked about how he would be born of a virgin. And here's a baby born of a virgin. Isaiah's talking about it hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever happened. And then it happens. And the Jews missed it. Well, not all of them. Paul in Romans 1, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, A servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Talking about God, he's Paul saying, Look, God promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. It's prophetic. Paul saw it. Paul saw it. Remember, Paul was persecuting Christians. Now he is a Christian. What in the world changed? What changes a man from killing Christians to becoming a Christian? The word of God, Jesus Christ, confronting him on the on the road to Damascus. That'll change a man. The Lord God also says here, the Lord God will give him the throne of David, and it will be forever, verse 33. We see that it will be forever. 2 Samuel tells us in, uh, in Chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Isaiah adds to it in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus will come again. He will rule and reign. His kingdom will be forever. So, we see that Mary is highly favored and her son Jesus will be great. Now that we we have a better understanding of the message to Mary, let's look at the miracle of the conception. The miracle of the conception. We see this in verses 34-37. through Bible says, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. So we need to stand firm. It was we look in the miracle of this conception, there are those who deny the conception. They deny this miracle. <coughs> Many people say Jesus, uh, his father is Joseph. Uh, that, that this is not a, uh, a virgin birth. We must stand firm on our faith in one of the greatest miracles in all of Scripture, the divine conception of Jesus Christ in Mary by the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Excuse me. So how do we stand firm on this belief? How do we do this? It starts because of Mary's purity. It all boils down to Mary's purity. If, if, If Mary is not a virgin, then therefore Joseph is the father of Jesus, and Jesus is nothing more than mere man. And if he's nothing more than a mere man, then he's not worthy to go to the cross for all of mankind. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There are many people who try to deny this miracle, this conception. But uh, here we see a, a proof for us is that Mary was a virgin. In verse 34, what does she say? Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? I've never been with a man. How can I carry a child if I've never been with a man? Understand, she is not doubting God. She just doesn't understand how this is all going to work. Okay, and we'll see that here in a little bit more uh, in, in her reaction. But so, what is the response? Well, how how is this going to happen, if if I've never been with a man? So we see that she's a virgin. She is pure. Uh, but it's also the reason we stand firm uh, on this belief is because of God's power, okay? It's not only just because of her purity, but because of God's power. Uh, Verses 35 and 36, we see that the miracle of producing a child without a human father is all through the power of God. It all is done through the power of God. Uh, Warren Rearsby says, as Mary's son, he would be human, As son of the highest, which we see in verse 32, he would be the son of God, as noted in verse 35. So as Mary's son, he's human. But as the son of the most highest, he is God. 100% man, 100% God, deity wrapped in humanity. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, he who never began to be, but eternally existed, began to be what he eternally was not. And continued to be what he internally was. I like Charles Spurgeon because he really challenges me. Because when you read that, you're like, what did you just say? But he says, he who never began to be, but eternally existed. Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there from the beginning. Jesus was part of creating the heaven and the earth. He was there from the beginning. But then Charles Spurgeon says... Uh, and continued to, or oh, I'm sorry, uh, but eternally existed, began to be what he eternally was not, the incarnation. Now he's beginning to be what he eternally never was, a man. That happened over 2,000 years ago as he was laid in the womb in flesh, began to wrap over deity. As as the flesh began to form in her womb. So, and that's what he said, and then he continued to be what he eternally was. (laughs) Even though he was in the womb, he still was God. You know, I mean... Uh, essentially, when a baby is formed in the womb, it's a baby. It doesn't have to be born to be a baby. It was a baby. And when God was laid in the womb and flesh was wrapped around Him, He was a baby and He was God. And that shows you, uh, that's the amazing truth. What's so amazing about this is that God would do that for us. That God we've seen Abraham witnessed the, uh, the angel of the Lord. Jesus. The, in, uh, the, you know, uh, uh, the manifestation of Jesus Christ. Jesus came as a man. Now he didn't have flesh because he was the angel of the Lord. He, he wasn't an angel. He was God. Okay? And we know that because Abraham fell and worshipped him and the, the angel of the Lord did not tell him to stop worshipping. He knew that uh, because he was Jesus, right? And so we know that that was uh, a manifestation of Jesus Christ in that time. And so he, he could have came as a man. He could have came as a powerful king. He could have s- established uh, a throne somewhere and came as this powerful king and, and rode into town on a big white stallion and all decked out and uh, looked like the king that the Jews were looking for. But he came as a baby. He came in humility. Humble. He never got rid of his deity. He just veiled it. To live amongst us. To be a man. While still holy God. And that's what Spurgeon is telling us. And ultimately, uh, so how does this power of God work? Uh, the, the angel tells Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee in verse 35. Gabriel was careful to point out that the baby would be a holy thing and would not share the sinful human nature of man. Understand, he says, this is a holy thing in your womb. Okay? What are we all to strive for? Holiness, but none of us are holy. Uh, We are to strive for it, though. We are to be holy for I am holy. That's what God says, right? Be holy, for I am holy. We are to strive for it. But Gabriel makes it very clear. This is a holy thing. He would not share the uh, sinful human uh, nature of man. Uh, we understand that Jesus, he knew no sin. Second Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus Christ... He knew no sin. We also know He did no sin. 1 Peter 2.22 says, Who did no sin? Neither was guile found in His mouth. Jesus Christ never sinned. He was sinless. He was, he was pure, right? Uh, he was perfect. And He had no sin. 1 John 3.5 And ye know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. And ultimately... How was he laid in the womb? How does this all happen? His body was prepared for him by the Spirit. We see this in Hebrews 10, verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. So, uh, basically, this, this, the Holy Spirit lays Jesus in the womb, and, and what it looked like at the beginning, I have no idea, but it developed into a child. Into a baby. (coughs) And the body was prepared. So we see that it was uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But uh, it also says, uh, Gabriel also says, The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. God overshadowed Mary, similar to the Shekinah glory that filled the temple. Right? It's like when they filled that temple, it it was the Shekinah glory. That's what fulfilled the temple. And that's what it's saying. that gives the idea here that God overshadowed Mary. So how is he able to do all this? How, is, how does this all happen? Uh, it, it seems, you know, with our finite mind, it makes no sense. But verse 37 sums it all up for us. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. See, for God, nothing is impossible. What is impossible for man is not a problem for God. Matthew 19, verse 26 says, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Luke 18, verse 27. And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Why do we struggle uh, with the virgin birth? People who do. When you think about the power of God, you know, I mean... Uh, my answer, I get asked questions about the Trinity sometimes. You know, oh, man, how does this Trinity thing work? Are you kidding? He's God. He can do what he wants. He, he was three in one, okay? And, and we know this because he was three places in one spot at, at the same exact moment at Jesus' baptism. All three are present at the same time. So he's not a different manifestation of it. The Trinity exists because it's the power of God. It's Because it's not impossible for God to be three in one. That's why. Why do we... we got to make things so difficult. But the power of God... You know, we ought to be thankful that we serve a miraculous God. I'm thankful that our God's still in the miracle business. And can still perform miracles. So not only have we seen the message to Mary and the miracle of the conception, but I also want you to lastly see the mind of Mary. The mind of Mary. in Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, and the angel departed from her. Understand that the word handmaid comes from the Greek word doule. Doule, which means female slave or bond. Dulos means slave. It's a servant. It's used for the word servant. But doule puts it into a feminine gender, and therefore uh, it refers to a female slave. She calls herself a handmaid, all right? Mary was essentially presenting herself as a humble servant, and we established her humility earlier. What Mary is saying is, God, I don't have much to offer, but what I am and what I have is all yours. It's all yours, It is my hope this morning that if we get only one thing out of this message, it is that each and every one of us will want to go out and serve others, to be, uh, to have this idea of Mary, to say, "Hey, I'm willing to be your servant. I'm willing to be your handmaid." Husbands should be willing to serve. You should be willing to serve your wives. Wives, you should be willing to serve your husbands. Uh, As a congregation, uh, as Christians, we should be willing to serve this community. So, with the, uh, with the mind of Mary, I want you to see that she had a humble spirit. That was the idea there. She, she has this humble spirit. But also, I want you to see she has a humble consent. A humble consent. Even though Mary didn't fully understand how everything was going to work, she humbly consented to the will of God. And this is no different with us as believers. We should, uh, when God asks us to do something difficult, are you willing to, are you willing to submit to his will? Are you willing to surrender your desires, if needed, to do God's will? I want you to see there that she, uh, Mary, she consented to the will of God. Um, uh, let me see this. Uh, where was that verse? Um, and Mary arose. Oh, I'm sorry. And, uh, and Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. So she says, Look, behold, the handmaid, I'm submitting to your, I'm your servant. I'm your slave. I'm here for you. Like I said, is, that's the idea she was giving. She consented to the will of God. Uh, I, I heard a story about a guy uh, named Ivan who was in a Russian prison. Right, He was in a Soviet prison camp. And one day he was praying with his eyes closed when a fellow prisoner noticed him and said with ridicule in his voice, prayers won't help you get out of here any faster. And opening his eyes, Ivan looked at that man and he said, I do not pray to get out of prison, but to do the will of God. But to do the will of God. See, the world's most popular prayer is, Thy will be changed. Thy will be changed. But the world's greatest prayer is, Thy will be done. William Barclay said that. The world's most popular prayer is, Thy will be changed. See, that's the idea here is if we were this Ivan, how many of us would be in prison begging God to get us out of there? Rather than saying, God, you have me here for a purpose. Show me what it is. Thy will be done. Jesus Christ, Garden of Gethsemane, praying. God, if there can be some other way, please let this cup pass from me. Please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The very words that Mary herself is saying. Whatever you need, Lord, I am your servant. I am here for you. She consented to his will, but she also consented to his word. In verse 38, see, Mary says to God, Be it unto me according to thy word. Look there in verse 38 if you can. Be it unto me according to thy word. Repeat it after me. Uh, Say it along with me, will you? Be it unto me according to thy word. Again, be it unto me according to thy word. Can you say that to God this morning? Can you say that and mean, Be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever you would have for me, Lord, I am yours. I am willing to obey. And understand, there are many things in the word of God that when we get in here and we read it, can you say, be it unto me according to thy word. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. Be it unto me according to thy word, Lord. If you're aught with a brother, you should go to that person and deal with that person one-on-one. Not go talk to your friends about that person. Uh, Not go complain to people about that person. You're supposed to deal with that person one on one. Be it unto me. According to thy word. Are we willing to obey? We are not we are we are to be a humble people, not a prideful people, be it unto me according to thy word. We are supposed to forgive others as Jesus has forgiven us. Are you harboring some bitterness towards somebody this morning that maybe you know you need to forgive them? Well, I can never forgive them for that. Aren't you thankful that wasn't Jesus' remarks while he's on the cross? I think he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Be it unto me according to thy word. That's, that's the words of this humble servant Mary. Mary completely yields to the will of God. She sets aside her own plans to obey God's word and to do his will. When God speaks to us through his word, our response should humbly be, uh, uh, should be to humbly yield to his perfect will. See, when this book is opened and God's word goes forth, There is only one right response, and that is to trust and obey. This is the word of God, and if we say it is the word of God, then everything in here, whether we agree with it or not, we need to trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey Andrew Murray once said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded unto Him. Are you willing to let God be responsible for you? Are you willing to wholly yield your desires, everything, to God and let Him use you in a, in a miraculous way? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. See, what God says is, I have a plan for your life, and if you will consent to me and obey my word, I am going to show you what I can do in your life. I've often told people coming up here and, and taking this church, I am so excited for the opportunity to, to pastor this church, and I'm excited to see how God is going to work in and through me in the coming years, weeks, days. Because everything that's going to happen that's going to be any good, it's going to be of God, not of me. God's will is right here in our hands. Are you going to trust it? Are you going to obey it? Will you yield to it? There may be times in your life when God asks you to do something that may seem impossible, and I know, because he asked me to move to California, and it seemed impossible, because I swore I'd never go to that state, ever. And God just chuckled. He said, uh, I, I visited one time, said I would never cross that border ever again, and he moved me there. So I had to live there for two and a half years, so... Uh, or two years. So, regardless of what God, uh, what He asks, we should be just like Mary. We should submit and do what He asks us to do. So, be careful when you say you may not do something. Oh, I'll, I'll never do that. I'll never be a preacher. I'll never, uh, I'll never stand behind a pulpit. Oh, I'll, I'll never, uh, I, I can't do those types of things. I'll ne- I can't go door knocking. I'm just not able to invite people to church or to share the gospel. God will, he will take you, you know, where God guides, God provides, and he'll give you the strength, the power. Don't do it in your power, but do it in his. We need to respond like Mary and have the faith to believe his word and yield to his will. Why? Because God's way is always better than our way. How can we do this? Our faith begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ This Jesus we see being conceived in the womb of Mary is the same Jesus who would willingly climb up Mount Calvary and die on a cross for all of man's sins. Jesus gave His life on the cross of Calvary so that we could have eternal life one day in heaven with Him. But you don't get it if you don't put your faith and trust in Him. It only comes if you make a choice to believe You must believe that he came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Believe the gospel. Trust the gospel. His sacrifice would be payment for all of mankind and would atone for every sin ever committed and every sin that will ever be committed. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, won't you call on him today? Remember 2 Corinthians 5.21 again. I actually quoted it earlier, but 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us. Jesus took on the sins of the world, all the sins of the past, all the sins of the present, and all the sins that would ever come. He bore those sins on the cross of Calvary. When he was on that cross, I truly believe when darkness came over Jesus Christ, as he hung from the cross, that darkness was God turning his back on his only begotten son. Because at that moment, he couldn't see his son for all the sin that was on him. He couldn't even look at his own son. Our Father. And Jesus did that. For you he bore the sins he bore the back of his father so we could face the front of his father and stand before Jesus or before God and come boldly to the throne of grace he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him that's exactly what I just described Let us show our appreciation by living a life honoring the one that came down from heaven to offer himself a sinless sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to offer just a moment of invitation. Every head bowed, every eye closed.